pretty soon at your door. Then have a chat about the International Monetary Fund, the beast that supports badly managed governments. And the Trump's foreign policy scorecard with Scott Horton. Yes, the legend is back on the show. This is today's episode of Off Profit, so check it out. Offprofit.com slash podcast. And don't forget to share, like, retweet, leave your comments and send me all the things you know, including your threads. I begin to miss them, they are going down. Um, let's begin with World War 3. It's sad but true, but World War 3 co- is coming to you. Not at a theater near, bo- near your home, but expect you to be drafted in your army. Um, this conflict might be turned into the global war that b- basically the economy and a lot of politicians need to cover up for their failing policies. And uh, what's the situation? Um, easily said, the past six months Hamas t- has attacked the Israeli border with firebombs, grenades, rocks. And with rocks, and you don't have one kid throwing a rock, but you get 10,000 people throwing rocks at a few soldiers that stand there to protect the border. Well, not really the great situation. At the same time, the Lebanon government is going to default on its debt, so they need an enemy to talk, uh, go against. Well, in the Middle East, if you need your enemy, you know where the enemy is, it's just Israel. Well, having that said, and this war will also lead to cover up Saudi Arabia's foreign war. Failures, because let's fail it, Saudi Arabia and its ongoing genocide in Yemen is nothing more than bloody failure. They are losing, and Saudi Arabia lost in Syria, so they could also take a stand and show now how the world works. Well, of course, the United States will back Israel, that's how easy it is. I don't can imagine of any politician, with exception of a few honorable ones who have integrity, who are gonna say, well, maybe it's not a bad idea to not meddle in foreign wars. Which is, by the way, a policy that I would really support. Why simply don't go for a war. Simply don't have the war there. Go for peace. That is the best solution we have. Uh, China and Russia, well, what will they do? And the interesting part is how terrible is the Iranian and Lebanese economy recovered. Recently I saw a documentary about the NSA spying scandal. And they just said, it was from whistleblowers, and they said, well... We can turn off the lights and complete of Iran. We can blow up their nuclear power plants. That's scary stuff. I mean, just imagine you turn off the light in the uh, evening rush hour, all the electricity is on. Elevators are not working. It would be chaos. It's terrible for the people. But what will be the, the response be? I mean, if I, what I see at this moment happening, on all the fronts in the Middle East, Iran is winning. They win. They are winning all the wars. Their puppets are in there. And to be honest, I don't give a damn that Assad is a puppet of Iran. Because let's face it, when Assad would have gone, what you get in exchange? Al-Qaeda? Islamic State? I I have rather Assad. This is just, let's keep him in. It's just, you know what he is doing, he's not my friend. But at least he's not firing rockets at me. So, that's the interesting thing more. So, this war, and as you know, I got skin in the game, so this will be interesting to see how it evolves. Um, and also, what will Russia and China do? They are the traditional power partners of Iran, but recently Israel and China signed a partnership on a military uh, uh, partnering, which will provide over five to 10,000 jobs on both sides. So, now China has skin in the game. So, it's going to be interesting to see what's happening. 
Well, then have a quick chat about the International Monetary Fund and the IMF. You know them, and I'm not a big supporter of the IMF. And the reason is easy. The IMF is an organization we should abolish. Unfortunately, the IMF is likely you know, pushing for more donations and more contributions from its member states. And all the IMF is doing is keep badly managed governments afloat, like Argentine, like Lebanon. And this Lebanon plays also a role in World War III. They are, they are Hamas country, so might be a good idea for them. We need an enemy. Well, let's start a war. And let's face it, Lebanon is really effective in rebuilding its country when it's thrown down. But what the IMF is doing is basically like <coughs> dealing with junks. Instead of giving a junk a rehab and healthy food to get his body recovering, what you should do is the IMF saying to the junk, here's your next shot of heroin. That's what the IMF is doing. And the IMF should, could be used to get good policies in, get things working, and get the complete world system operating. So, that's just a quick comment on, to, on the exclusive news. European Union imposed completely global covering privacy laws, so it's the highest time for you to be transparent, unless you want to pay a 20 million euro fine. And yes, the European Commission is on a witch hunt, so get ready. So, check out GDRP compliance course on hofprofit.com slash GDRP. That's hofprofit.com slash GDRP. It's the beginning of time. Gold has become real money. It is the money being used by the Aztecs, the Egypts, the Roman Empire. And central banks around the world still love gold, so why are you not ready for making from gold profits? Golden profits are there just because of the current trade wars, financial instability and geopolitical tensions. Gold is likely to go up and up and up. So check it out, hofprofit.com slash gold2018. That's hofprofit.com slash gold2018. WordPress offers you many great opportunities to build a great website, webshop and spread your message. If it's your blog or your desire to become financially independent, WordPress is there for you to help you. WordPress has many hidden, hidden features no one knows. So visit hofprofit.com slash WordPress for the WordPress training menu. And now, without any further delay, here is today's exclusive interview with Scott on Trump's foreign policies. Again. Uh, on, on my site, already the third time, I believe. For the listeners who didn't miss this out, and I will link to it in the show notes pages, who are you? Well, um, I'm the host of Anti-War Radio on KPFK in Los Angeles. I'm the editorial director of Antiwar.com. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, and I'm the author of the book Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan. And right now I'm working on a new one. Um, that's about the whole terror war. Oh, that will be a big book. If you get a complete war on terror on the United States. Uh, if you look at uh, Afghanistan, your book is well received by almost everyone from all political sides. So, in this current political climate, that's really interesting to see happening. Uh, yeah, thanks for saying so. I appreciate that. Um, it's it's certainly written in a nonpartisan manner because I'm not a partisan. And then. 
you know, let's just face it. I mean, there's hardly any redeeming thing to say about the war in Afghanistan. It's been uh, 17 years there, and I'm right. And so no wonder everybody agrees with me. Uh, There was, uh, I think, seven years ago, there was a commentator from Dutch commercial talk radio. And we have only one commercial talk radio station at all, which is basically just a Bloomberg-style station. Uh And they just uh, he says, well, actually, we need to respect the Taliban. They did something that the Germans couldn't do. Fight the war for ten years. Well, because the Germans lost their five. <laughs> yeah, well, kind of different levels of war. I mean, in reality, yeah. <laughs> when when America invaded Afghanistan in 2001, they decimated Taliban infantry positions and so forth with JDAM bombs, uh, just almost immediately. I mean, just wiped out thousands and thousands of guys across the north and the Shamali Plain and all this. And the Taliban surrendered almost immediately, and they did not say, you know, this will be the mother of all battles, and we will fight you in the hills and the rivers and the streams and the beaches and the in the air. You know, he, they didn't say yeah. that. They surrendered, and they left the field. And when America installed the new government even, they chose a Pashtun uh, tribal warlord, basically uh, the son of a tribal chief named Hamid Karzai, who was from – the southern Kandahar province. And so the Taliban recognized the new government as Islamic and legitimate. They did not say, we're going to overthrow you, we're going to do everything we can to take our power back. They didn't. And Mullah Omar, in fact, just retired and went home to study. They said that he was hiding in Pakistan all along. He was in Afghanistan at home. And I'm pretty Um, sure that's proof for this. Yeah, So, and it took until about 2005 until... The Americans were able to pick a fight, basically. You know, the American soldiers were sent there. They're stationed there. They have nothing to do. They have no enemies to fight. And then a local says, hey, you know who's a terrorist? This guy. Go get him for me. And the more they got caught up in doing stuff like that and finding missions to go out on, they finally ended up provoking a full-scale Pashtun-based insurgency uh, against the occupation that now is too large to quell. And and there's really nothing that they could do without waging a total war like they did with Germany, just literally bombing the hell out of every one. And they can't do that. It's you know, it's that's too far over the line to bomb, you know, these barefoot tribal people into submission, this civilian population into submission in that manner. They can't do it. I mean, even on a Korea or Vietnam type level, it's just too many cameras available to document su- stuff like that from too many angles. Uh, and the interesting perspective is we are now all journalists and we all got an, a phone with a camera, so we can record it all. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's kind of worth pointing out, right, that that actually really is an improvement, isn't it? And you think about the bombing campaigns that Johnson and Nixon unleashed over North Vietnam as though they could just mm-hmm. turn off the South Vietnamese insurgency like it was a switch or something anyway. But you think about the level of devastation that they brought there. In our time, they wouldn't dare do that. I mean, they ended up getting a million Iraqis killed. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the the civil war that broke out there under American occupation has been horrible. And there's, you know, been tens or hundreds of thousands of people killed around the region because of America's war since then. But B-52 scale bombing campaigns like what happened back in the 60s and 70s there in Vietnam are, are just out of the question, thank goodness. Um, but that does go to show, though, that 
we're in a war that we cannot win because nothing short really of just an absolute campaign of decimation against the Pashtun population could succeed. I mean, I say that descriptively. I'm not talking – I'm not recommending that. I'm just saying they cannot be defeated. I'm saying we should call it quits, not that we should bomb them more. I'm just saying those are your two choices. I would just say quit. Why waste all that money as a bankrupt country on some country that's far away who's not a real threat to you anyway? Well, you know what? I know that you know what the answer is already too, and that is that this isn't really about the Pashtun people. It's not about the Afghan people. This is about Russia and China and Iran for that matter. This is about the middle part of North America attempting to dominate all of Eurasia. We dominate Europe. We dominate East Asia. But we need that foothold in Central Asia. Well, need in ironic quotes, according to the doctrines of world empire and global hegemony, we have to be there for what? And they'll just come up with reasons. Well, what if Pakistan's nukes fall into the hands of extremists? Well, we have ships in the Indian Ocean. We could send in helicopters full of Marines or special operations forces or whatever into Pakistan. I mean, in fact – you know, having having soldiers chasing Pashtun tribesmen around Afghanistan doesn't seem like it really doesn't seem like it would really give you an advantage over Pakistan's well, nukes anyway, right? I mean, it's uh, but then they oh China we have to prevent China from creating a massive empire there. Well, who says they're trying to? Right? It's like they, it's like um, Homer Simpson's bear repellent. He swears <laughs> he's keeping all the bears off of um, off his street, but there, there actually were none in the first place. So yeah. That's interesting what you said about Pakistan, because I recently had a chat with an uh, employee of the Pakistani embassy in the Hague, and he just confessed, and I asked him about the farm, my sources tell me you lost six, six nukes. He said, uh, those things don't go very well at home. Which is just, well, no way I can get to enter your country anyway. So. Well, it's, it's possible, I don't know about that, but... It happened with the uh, flood. Uh, they lost them. He admitted. So, hmm. not really good. So, you're an American citizen. How do you look at your president? Well, I mean, he's like the greatest practical joke ever played on America. Um, if, like the Israelis, you believe in collective guilt, then um, the American people deserve this. And it's... it's uh, well, it's really something, right? I mean, look at all the ironies in the fact that somebody finally – it wasn't Ron Paul. Ron Paul tried heroically. Um, somebody finally from outside of the real American imperial establishment was able to become the president. It's unbelievable. It's straight out of the fairy tales of American democracy where here's a guy who's not a senator – not a governor, not a vice president, just a businessman. And even as a businessman, he's not a banker. He's not an arms manufacturer. He's not tied directly into state power or national government power in that way, right? He's a former real estate tycoon, mostly an entertainer. And With his own, with his own casino. Yeah, and so here's a guy. He's the only guy in America, mm-hmm. the only guy that we got. Who could have, who did, in fact, stop Jeb Bush and Hillary Clinton, the Bushes and the Clintons, 
the people who have absolutely dominated America's entire post-Cold War policy in every way. And Trump just got up there with, you know, like a football stiff arm and just blammed the hell out of them. Uh, you know, Roger Stone style politics, go for the jugular like they're not used to and just go after him and destroy him. And it worked. And then here's a guy who actually, you know, one of the things that he ran on was anti-war. Now, he didn't say he was anti-war and he wanted to end all the wars, but he certainly criticized the Bushes and the Clintons for their recklessness and in getting us into wars. And he said, and he repeated this only recently, that Bush's decision to invade Iraq and the greater Middle East was the worst decision an American president has ever made, which goes to show that he doesn't know much about American history but, but or anything. Um, but he's kind of right. Like it was really big, and, and, and the consequences are going to last beyond our lifetimes. I mean he's, it is a, a Wilson getting us into World War I level error pretty much, um, pretty close. You know, it belongs on that same list, absolutely. And, um, and yet he's Donald Trump. He's the Reaganite yuppie schmuck from the lifestyles of the rich and famous with the fake tits girlfriend with the big hair and driving a Maserati and who cares only about himself. He didn't want to be president because he has some vision for how the world is really supposed to be and how to make America great. He just likes himself a lot, and he always thought that, yeah, that's the ultimate job to get. And I think I can get it because I'm big enough and man enough to do it and whatever. And so – that's his entire mindset. His entire way of looking at things is from this narrow, self-interested point of view. And you can tell in the way he acts on virtually every issue that his entire conception of politics is the crap that we see on TV, right? Where you and I look at politics in all of these different layers of power and influence and think tanks and banks and and interest groups and foreign countries and power factions and sometimes it's the army versus the air force and the cia and all of these things and to trump it's all just about like when charles schumer said something that hurt my feelings and that made it on cnn and so now i have to say something back or whatever it is where it's this absolute most surface level entertainment level of political coverage that the american people are served constantly that's the way he consumes politics too. That's what he thinks of as politics. Now, all reports are that he just spends all day watching TV. He doesn't read. He doesn't know anything. So who does he pick to run his foreign policy staff? A bunch of hardcore right-wing hawks. John Bolton and Pompeo both are far to the right inside the Republican Party. Neither of them are exactly neoconservatives, but they're both very right-wing nationalists to the right of the Republican Party on most things. And so why does Trump like them? Because they're tough guys, right? And they, they know what they mean, and they really are confident. And blah, blah, You know what I mean? Like this is surface-level stuff. He sees John Bolton on Fox, and John Bolton is always certain. And so that's the kind of guy I like. Well, who's John Bolton? He's the worst guy on every issue. And so Trump makes him national security advisor, and he's doing everything he can to get us onto a path to war with Iran. And then even when Pompeo says, hey, boss, we can really do this. Let's make a deal with North Korea. It's Bolton that tries to screw it up. Bolton gets out there and says, yeah, it'll be like in Libya where he disarmed and then we murdered him. Like what? 
And, you know, this is outright insubordination. I mean, this is just insane. But why did Trump pick Bolton? Because he's never even heard of the Cato Institute. He's never read a single article by Doug Bandow. You know why? Because he doesn't read articles. You know why? Because he's an idiot. He's Donald Trump, for Christ's sake. So it's beyond his capacity to even know where to start looking on the Internet for people who are not on the left side of the political spectrum at all, but who agree with him about the overall senselessness of American imperial policy, the overall wastefulness. Um, the idea, for example, and this is Doug Bandow in spades, right, from Cato, that that Japan and Korea and Germany and France and Britain are freeloading off of the United States. These are countries with incredibly strong economies that can take care of their own defense. World communism is dead. Mm -hmm. The excuse for the American empire in Europe and in Asia is over. And so we should not do this. I mean, that is what Trump feels, right? I won't say he really thinks that because he's too damn dumb, but at least he feels that way. But he doesn't even know where to find a staff that agrees with him. So he goes straight to the world's worst hawks to run his administration. And so every time – and I've said this all along since the campaign. I actually saw a couple of articles this week making the exact same point that because he's so stupid – and so lazy and so narcissistic that when he gives an argument like, hey, guys, I want to get out of Afghanistan, and then they come back and say, oh, no, because of the safe haven myth, the terrorists will hit us again and all these things. Or he says, I want to get out of Syria, and they go, no, because Iran is there now for some reason and more powerful in Syria than ever before. And so now we have to stay embedded with the Kurds or else maybe the Turks will attack them, and so now we can't leave Syria either. On any of these examples where he actually does lean in the right way, when they fight with him about it, when his staff fights with him about it, he gives in because he doesn't have the wherewithal. He doesn't have the argument. He doesn't have – the intellectual strength to argue and win an argument with them about why he's right. You know, that actually right. Afghanistan is not a magic porthole to Boston Logan Airport, right? This is not – Afghanistan is not a shortcut to waging attacks on America. Afghanistan is as far away from America as anyone could ever get without being on their way back again. You know, this is mm -hmm. exile from the rest of the planet Earth. Why was al-Qaeda in – in Afghanistan because Bill Clinton asked Sudan, which you might have thought Sudan was exile. Bill Clinton asked Sudan to exile him to Afghanistan <laughs> because it's the furthest place you could ever get from anywhere. The guys who hijacked those planes and attacked America, they didn't do that from Afghanistan. They did that from America. They were in this country for a year and a half, some of them. Training in our flight schools, planning these attacks in, you know, part of the one of the major planning sessions for the attacks was right down the street from NSA headquarters in Maryland. It's interesting to see, especially that uh, the people who were did 9-11, they were flying on Bulgarian and Saudi Arabia passports. Uh -huh. So if you would invade a country after this, would, which is not my solution to go, but yeah, I would then say, from, well, Bulgaria, here we come, and oh yeah, when we are there... Saudi Arabia, get ready. Well, and so this is this is the huge irony of everything, right? Is why were we attacked by these guys? We were attacked by these guys, and that includes with cooperation from people inside the Saudi government, as you're you know intimating there. And why did they do it? They did it because we were too close of allies with the Saudi king. 
too close of allies. Those hijackers did not come from Iran, Iraq, and Syria, America's axis of evil over there. They came from America's allied states, primarily Saudi and Egypt. And why did these men hate us? Because we supported their torture dictatorships. We had combat forces on the ground in their countries, particularly in Saudi Arabia, the land of Mecca and Medina and all that. And so this is why they attacked us. But then when George Bush – and I know I always say the same thing, but this is everything. When George Bush invaded Iraq in Iraq War II in 2003 through 2011, what he basically really did in essence to boil that whole war down was he put America in the civil war on the side of the Iraqi Shiite supermajority who are allied with Iran. So once Bush was done winning that war for them, they told America, OK, thanks. Now get the hell out. We don't need you. We have our buddies next door. And so Iran were the major beneficiaries of that war. So the Bush regime realized that about 2006 that like, boy, we really screwed the pooch on this. This hasn't given us more influence over Iran. This has given Iran more influence in Iraq now. And so they started tilting back toward the Saudis and the Sunnis and said, sorry, your highness. We're going to now do everything we can to support the Sunni axis in the region and uh, against the Shiite one that we've accidentally empowered here. But so how do they do that? Because the Saudis don't have a land army, right? Their army is al-Qaeda. So America, since 2006, has been supporting al-Qaeda. And I don't mean bribing them to stop fighting our guys in Iraq. I mean supporting Fatah al-Islam in Lebanon, Muslim Brotherhood-tied al-Qaeda-type groups in Syria, and Jandala in Iran, and bin Laden, suicide bomber, murderer, head chop, crazies. And... Of course, starting in 2011, America supported the jihadists in Libya, but that wasn't really about Iran. That was different. But in Syria, they've taken the side all these years up until about a year ago uh, throughout, you know, for Obama for five years, um, took side of the jihadists in Syria against Bashar al-Assad. And this is what led to the rise of the Islamic State that then he had to launch Iraq War three to take the city of Iraqi Shiites again to roused ISIS out because that was blowback on an order way too big and had to be undone. And so this whole massive war in Syria and including the rise and then the destruction of the Islamic State, all of this was done to try to make up for the fact that Bush had fought for the Shia in Iraq War II. And of course it ended up, like I'm saying, it ended up only empowering Iran even more. We ended up backing the same militias as them, the Shiite militias in Iraq, again in Iraq War III and as I was saying, also, this is their excuse to say in Syria now is, oh, no, Iran is there for some reason. When, of course, Iran is there to help save the Syrian state from the CIA's al-Qaeda forces. The CIA, that is America, Turkey, Saudi, UAE and Qatar and whoever else were supporting, you know, intervening there on the side of the revolt in Syria all these years. So, um, you know, in other words, the bottom line is our government, the U.S. government, will side with the American people's enemies, al-Qaeda, enemies they created for us in the first place. Um, but our government will side with them against their enemies in the region, Iran. And the only reason why is because they're so resentful about what they have done for Iran that they can't get over it. And this is why we fight. That sounds to me more like a good reason to say, well, we're going to stop with all those bloody wars abroad. We're going to stop kill people and we're going to learn our lesson. Uh, oh yeah, by the way, we are bankrupt, so anyone interested in buying our half of our army? Because we need the money. 
Right. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Clearly, this is the best they can do. Right. If you want to give them the benefit of the doubt that they're really trying, this is the best war on terrorism they can wage is a war that either indirectly benefits Al Qaeda or directly benefits Al Qaeda. That's really terrible to see what's happening in the Middle East and earlier I had uh, Daniel Kovalik in the, on the show to talk about Iran and we just had a chat about it, what happened and I must admit that I always I think it's a pity that I can't enter Iran or Lebanon at the moment as the fact that I got two citizenships and my Israeli one don't get me very safe in there I think I'm not going to try it in the first place but if you look at the foreign policy things, which is definitely your specialty, what should Trump do with what's now happening, the trade wars, Russia, China, how should he go, and what do you think about the midterms? All right, well, so as far as Russia and China go, huh? from the very beginning, I've said that the first thing Trump should do, uh, the first thing he should have done was immediately invite Putin to D.C., let him stay in the Lincoln bedroom for a week, take him out to dinner and to the opera and whatever crap, and then sign a massive nuclear arms reduction pact. And then tell the liberals, how do you like that? Because the liberal base of America, the regular rank and file Democratic, progressive, liberal and leftist voters, man, they would love that. And they would they, – no matter how much they hate Trump and no matter how much the TV news cries that it's all some pro-Russia treason – Humanity wants – it's not our highest priority, and man, it should be. But humanity, and that includes the American people, favor nuclear arms reduction pacts virtually 100 percent of the time. And, of course, right now, America and Russia have enough H-bombs that if we had a real war, it could kill virtually all of humanity other than the very elite hiding in their underground cities and whatever, you know, that they've built at our expense all this time. Uh, you know, we could have what, what Daniel Ellsberg calls, and he's a real expert, calls omnicide, the death of everyone. Because even where the H-bombs weren't going off, you still all the crops will fail. It will be nuclear winter for the whole world. The crops will fail. Seven billion people would die if there was a full-scale war between America and Russia with these H-bombs. We've got to get rid of them. And if Trump... And Trump knows that, too. You know, this is an interesting story about Trump is that his uncle was a professor at MIT, and he's talked about this before, that his his uh, MIT professor uncle had taught him all about nuclear weapons and how powerful they were and, um, you know, what it all meant. And, and since even the, and there's an article actually in, in um, the American Conservative this week about this uh, by Hunter Dorensis. Um about how uh, even in the Reagan years, he publicly said he wanted Reagan to appoint him to be the special negotiator to go to the Soviet Union and negotiate an end to the nuclear arms race, um, which I don't know if he could have done that, but it showed his interest in that way back – pardon me, way back then. And um, so um, – and I think it's the art of the deal. I mean I think it's brilliant to do. You know, they want to sit here and tr and pretend that he's some kind of pro-Russian traitor. Why not go ahead and make incredible, fantastic, really classy agreements with Russia to, you know, build still uh, for the near-term future in Ukraine to end the war in Syria, 
to get along. You know, maybe we'll pull some troops out of Estonia and Latvia if uh, if uh, you know the Russians will whatever do do something on their side to ratchet down tensions, whatever for appearances sake. And, and then especially getting rid of, um, you know, many of the H bombs. Uh, we could reduce the entire arsenals to a few hundred A bombs on each side. A couple of hundred A bombs on each side would be more than enough to commit plenty of genocide for everyone uh, without these H bomb absolute city thermonuclear city killers. Something like that. You know, I think that that's what he should have done on his first day he was sworn in. Is what he should do tomorrow. And and then and just to address the American people seriously, you know the the liberal Democrats are going to try to stop this. You tell them what you really think of their efforts, and he would win. He would kick their ass, and and it would be the end. It would really put an end to this RussiaGate, you know, nonsense too. Um, I think by just you know by showing he's doing this he's not doing this because he's pro-russia he's doing this because he's pro-america you know any president who did something like that if it was jeb bush got rid of all the nukes he'd be bush the great he'd be you know a worldwide hero forever any president who led an effort like that it would be you know there's just no other way around it so um so i think that'd be really great politics and now with china i mean People talk as though it just goes without saying that the Chinese, you know, mean to dominate the entire region, um, you know, at the expense of Japan and Korea and everyone else. And that's why America has to stay there and has to push back against them on each and every little one of these atoll island things that they build in the South China Sea and all this. I just don't care. I mean, I just think it's completely ridiculous. I mean, the Chinese are basically our allies. They're our number one trading partner, I think now even um, beyond Canada, we trade with uh, the Chinese. Uh, neither of us can afford to have a conflict, and they've got H-bombs, and we've got H-bombs, uh, so that's enough. I mean, if if losing Los Angeles and or you know Denver and or Washington, D.C. or Dallas or Houston or what have you is absolutely unacceptable uh-huh, – then, hey, we have to get along with China from now on, no matter what, forever. So I kind of don't want to hear it. You know, um, they can be – I mean I just – I actually don't even accept that they have this ambition to replace America as the global hegemon. Uh, why should I believe that they're that stupid? They consolidated the Chinese empire however many couple thousand years ago, and they haven't really had an expansionist foreign policy this entire time. And all they have to do is look at America trying to be the unilateral global hegemon and, you know, try not to die laughing at how horrible uh, a job America's doing and how difficult it is to try to, you know, control the behavior, to act as a world government, to control the behavior of all the other states. It just it's crazy. Uh, why would they go bankrupt that way? And then, of course, as David Stockman always says. Their economy is on bubble gums and bubble gum and string, smoke and mirrors like crazy. If you think our economy is, you know, a co- the American one is a corrupt, distorted mess, you have no idea at the bubbles and distortions and crazy, you know, um, corrections due for the Chinese economy based on all of the, you know, the political way that major economic decisions are made in that country. Uh, that have just distorted everything. 
Um, and so, like, they're not in any position. They have a major crash coming any day now, any year now, and are going to be in no position to, to do any of that anyway. People talk about, oh, they're buying up all the mineral rights in Afghanistan. Yeah, well, let's see them develop those minerals. <laughs> you know, how are they? They're going to build a railroad and a highway and and the billion-dollar infrastructure in Afghanistan to make successful uh, lithium mines or whatever. And they're going to do this where? Down in Helmand Province? Where all of these minerals are, where the Taliban is, you know, it's their heartland. Give me a break, you know. Um, there's no security situation enough for a foreign empire to come in Afghanistan to rule it and, and to have enough stability that they could then exploit those resources in that way. I mean, we hear that from time to time, but that's just an excuse. That's never going to happen. Um, and those are the bad lands. Can't get resources out of there like that. Um, and so – you know, I think the only goal should just be, um, you know, trying to find ways to get along, trying to find ways to if they have tensions between them and Japan and them and Korea, whoever, let's negotiate. There's nothing to fight about. And, um, you know, as far as Iran, Iran never did anything to us. The only thing they did was accept the Christmas, the Christmas gifts that George Bush and Barack Obama gave them, trying to spite them. You know, but like Sideshow Bob stepping on a rake, you know, they suck at it. So that's two Simpsons references today. Sorry. Um, no, no problem. It's a so great, it's that's a great, not my – you know, it's theory. not fair. Yeah, you know, if I, tr if I pick a fight with you and then I punch myself out and then I get up and I'm even madder at you, like, is that fair? Does that make sense? Like, you know what I mean? At some point, you kind of got to accept I dug my own here, you know. It's like those well, uh, those instant karma YouTubes where the guy tries to push the other guy in the pool, but he's the one who falls in, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah, well, not only that, it's also that if I look at global politics and also here local politics, and within a few years we get elections, and I'm considering to run for city council, and I'm just looking at from can anyone just tell me which common sense thing they did in the last five years? Just one tiny thing, that's all I ask. I can't find anything. Yeah, well, um, I mean, I don't know how it is in your town, but uh, yeah, they don't certainly don't have much to brag about here. Oh, and you asked about the uh, midterms. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. And there's obviously a huge uh, left liberal type reaction, progressive reaction against Trump and everything he stands for. And yet America's pretty, you know, geographically divided when it comes to left and right and purple states and. You know, red and blue states, the purple ones are supposedly the half and half kind of debatable ones. Uh, but there's not really too many swing states. And there's what, what in America they call gerrymandering, where they draw the shape of the congressional districts in such a ridiculously twisted way as to basically guarantee reelection. Because they, they know who votes what way, house by house, neighborhood by neighborhood. They've got the all the ultimate data analytics on all that. So – you know, most of Congress are elected and reelected and reelected with better than five point spreads, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's usually not too much that can be done about that. You live in a red district. I mean, the chances, for example, of a Democrat winning the, the district where I live are zero. I mean, it'll be 55 uh, to 45 or 60 40, no matter what, where I live. Uh, just north of Austin, in, you know. Yeah, you're living in Texas. Uh -huh. Yeah, in Texas. I mean, Austin is a very liberal town. So there's the other example. In Austin, there's a 100% chance the Democrats going to win, whoever you know won that primary uh, for that House seat. 
Uh, that's primarily in Austin. It's Lloyd Doggett usually is, you know, one of them, whatever their names all are. Um, and so I don't know how much real turnover there's going to be. And you know what? You know, I think the liberals keep way overplaying their hand. You know, they're so self-righteous. And after all, the right-wingers are really bad on a lot of things. So there's some things that they are better than right-wingers on. And so they have some things. But they let their self-righteousness go to their head so bad where they really think that just because they're right that they've won the argument and that now everyone agrees with them and, and that everyone has to and that it, things just have to go their way and it keeps not working. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think they keep, you know, pushing people more and more to the right um, in reaction to some of their, you know, ridiculous antics where, I mean, the best example of this to me is like even the leftists who know better than and hate the Democrats for a lot of good reasons. You know what I mean? I mean, they hate them and for a lot of bad reasons, too, but mostly they have good reasons to hate them. They call themselves the 99%. But then they said about when they really radical leftists, I mean, they're closer to 1%. And they set about to make the other 9% of America out to be 1% that they were against. It made no sense at all. Like if you're the 99%, you have to if – you, or if you're trying to claim leader or alliance with virtually everyone against the super elite, if that was you know, their phrasing, then they need to, everything, like, to drop all of their – culture or objections to you know things that right wingers believe that they disagree about in order to focus on i don't know spin belts from anchors right this kind of thing that was what it was about at the time instead and just like the party too right they forgot me issues of me tonight wingers i just do the same things but, um you know the river three it's the one percent of one percent who are really you know own the super majority of the stocks of the biggest corporations in the in the tens of billions of dollars and then there's the rest of us um and so, uh, you know, I, I'm fun around. The, the, the point of the, the bars issue here is that um, at, as much as everyone's dipping a blue wave, as they call it, a liberal, uh, uh, you know, very nice represent reaction to Trumpian politics, I'd almost, without having looked at all the data in the polls lately or anything like that, I'd almost give them a 50 shot of blowing it and losing and letting the Republicans hanging on to the House. You know, the Democrats have not made themselves a very appealing alternative. You know, they, to them, you know, they're putting up billboards. Let's have a town hall meeting and talk about Russian influence in the Demo in the Republican Party. And, and nobody's buying. You know what I mean? Trying to rehash old McCarthyism after communism has been dead for 30 years. It just doesn't make sense. You know, no, next to that, I mean, but I always keep wondering if I look at Trump's point of view, political viewpoint. If I was a Democrat, I would say, this is the best Republican guy we ever could get. He is definitely much more uh, towards the uh, Democratic Party than the other Republicans he defeated, and way more acceptable than, and than Mike Pence. Yeah, well, I mean, it's true that Trump, um, you know, I disagree with these policies, but it's true that, you know, rank-and-file union factory workers typically vote Democrat because the Democrats are less good on free trade. They want protectionism. And this is something that Trump, of course, has promised all along. It's something huge that he and Bernie Sanders have in common. And it's a very populist it's, – it's ignorant, but it's a very populist position to take that them Chinese are taking our jobs. And so we need you know these tariffs and more. And, um, and so this is a phenomenon that in America they call the Reagan Democrats – all of the Democrats who turned around who abandoned Jimmy Carter and went to vote for Ronald Reagan, and it was because 
you know, even though they're liberal union workers, culturally speaking, they really identify more with right wingers than with, you know, left wing PC stuff and um, especially the extremes of it. And, you know, Reagan promised an end to Jimmy Carter's bad economic policies and whatever, which they weren't all Carter's fault. It was circumstances, mostly the, the central bank's fault at the time. But anyway, um, so this, you know, happened again with Trump. He had, you know, quite I don't know exactly the percentage points, but there were quite a few swing voters who were people who would typically vote Democrat who crossed over to vote Republican for him. Because for the same reason, you know, these are people who were all called racist. Oh, they're horrible racists. Everybody who supported Donald Trump, they supported Donald Trump because they all hate black people so much and all this. Well, these are the same swing voters who elected Barack Obama twice. And they elected Barack Obama and Donald Trump for the same reason. And that was because they seemed like they were sort of kind of outsiders. Everybody's sick of the Clinton and the Bushes. Well, this guy's a black guy from Chicago or wherever he's from. And so. You know, maybe he'll care about me because at least I know he's not one of them. He's not Bush. He's not a Clinton. So, you know, um, they gave it a shot, basically. And then these are the same people who voted for Donald Trump. Same reason, because Donald Trump rat, ran against the status quo and the establishment way things at the core. And that was what people wanted to hear. Okay, so, and do you think that Trump's going to get reelected? I do. I do think he's going to be reelected. I mean, I have to tell you. A lot of stuff can happen between now and 2020. There's a question about that. Should or ill. And Trump is Trump. So Lord knows what problems he's going to step in or how much worse he's going to make, what problem. Um, I'm not addicted on, but I'm not because I don't think he wants one. But I think he might get us into one anyway uh, because of the people that he's put in charge and the policies that they've taken on here. So I really don't know. But all things being equal, I say absolutely he's going to win because look at who the Democrats have. You know, I forgot who it was I read that said, you know, look at their leadership of who they're considering running, where it's Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden and John Kerry uh, and maybe even Hillary Clinton. I think he named like three of them and said mm -hmm. these three combined – maybe it was Hillary instead of Kerry that he named, but same difference. These three combined have an age of 220-something years old. You know, like <laughs> these are uh, – Elizabeth Warren? You think – Again, with the with the little so full of themselves that they just know that everyone has a bow down and fall with these ways of seeing things. But, you know, Elizabeth Warren ain't that charismatic if you don't all like her. And I, she, she is not as bad as Hillary Clinton. You know, Hillary Clinton, you know, oozes bad person all over the place. Elizabeth Warren, I don't know. You might tolerate her if she was, what, your kids and mom or something like that in the neighborhood? Yeah, I don't know. But – to be the big way. Just, and, then, and then who do they have? Joe who lost to George W. Bush? Talk about Joe. The fact that they're even, you know, um, mm -hmm. putting his name as a troubleman at all. When he's already like 77 or something like that. And in these times, I mean, they have to know that there are enough pictures and video of Joe Biden being extremely creepy with very young teenage daughters of different politicians and so forth. That that is absolutely unacceptable. That might have uh, you know slid in a pre-internet time, or in a maybe even with the internet, but more like in the 90s or 2000, that would have been more overlooked. But 
with Donald Trump as his opponent, you think the Republicans are, are going to what, hold their fire and be too polite? Jeb Bush might have been too polite to mention what a creep Joe Biden is when it comes to touching other people's daughters. But Donald Trump's not going to hold his fire on that. And the right wing, you know, Twitter verse and whatever, they are not. And it's really creepy, too. I mean, there's even I saw one video where he goes to put his hand on Jeff Sessions' daughter, the current attorney general. Or his granddaughter. He goes to touch uh, Session's granddaughter, and Session bats his hand away. Don't you touch her. Like, yeah, dude, he's a bad, creepy, weird dude. I mean, there, there's all this footage where some guy's being sworn in as the Secretary of the Interior and giving his acceptance speech. He's giving his thank you, Mr. Dent speech. And his wife being proud, and there's Biden creeping on his daughter, who's teen or something, and like squeezing her shoulders and smelling her hair and whispering in her ear. And the girl's like, oh, God, where? Somebody help me. It's weird old, like, kind of thing. Like, crazy. like, oh, man, it's really ugly. It's really ugly. Like, if somebody did that to your kid or, you know, a, a child in your family of whatever description, you would break their jaw. There's no, you know what I mean? Stalker like, oh, my God. Stalker and so the fact that they even think, and then who else do they have? Who else they have? They have nobody. Like, name for me, uh, charismatic, well-spoken, um, you know, I mean, there's Bernie Sanders, but he's already 78. He's going to be eight years old then, you know, or something. I could be wrong about that, but pretty close. He's going to be yeah. extremely old by then. And so... That's the only person I can come up with who go to run for the Democrats and have a chance. Sorry, who was it you said? Al Gore. Oh, Al Gore. But well, he also is like yeah. 78 now. I mean, his time is just oh. too late. His time is just okay, too late. Sorry. If he was no. going to run, he should have run last time. He could have saved the world from Hillary Clinton and from Donald Trump, for that matter. Um, he, uh, I, you know what? I think actually probably not. I think, well, I don't know. Trump might have beat. No, nah, he probably would have beat Trump because he's not as much of a hate figure you know as he used to be certainly he never was bad at Clinton or uh obama as a hate figure i mean all this global wing stuff and whatever right wingers don't like him but i don't think it really bothers regular folks that much um it really it took hillary clinton for for to be trump's opponent for him to win when they were running he was possibly the other you know so but al gore now i think it's too late I mean, it's too late. And and I, I honestly, I don't know why he didn't do it last time. He could have told Bernie Sanders, don't worry, I'll pull her to the left. I'll take care of the – you can go ahead and drop out now. Sanders probably would have. And then – Because he knew that the complete Democratic leadership wanted Hillary Clinton to be the next president. I, yeah, but she was a proven loser. I mean, I, he is too. Oh, yeah, no, That's definitely. Uh, he is too. And in fact, yeah, that's a problem. he and Hillary uh, both made the same control. dumb decision to not use Bill Clinton. I mean, in fact, how dumb could she be that she didn't learn from Al Gore's mistake in the year 2000? He did not bring Bill Clinton out on the campaign trail because he thought he was still tainted by Monica Lewinsky or whatever so much. When, you know, Bill Clinton's a great speech, man. And in fact... We talk about those Reagan Democrats, you know, factory workers who are union members mm -hmm. who, you know, usually vote Democrat, but they're, you know, they listen to Rush Limbaugh while they're driving or whatever. These guys, and Bill Clinton is the master of telling guys like that, listen, the Republicans hate your guts and you know it. You know, us Democrats, we might not be perfect, but the Republicans, they are the party of the guy that owns this factory. Us Democrats, we're the party of you guys who work here. So, don't screw around and don't get it twisted. 
and he can give that speech really well that like you know and and he can give a speech where he goes here's a list of democratic and they list whatever you know, these are great for them but then it was down this huge list of all these great things that he did he goes that's great all these orphans get rich i do yeah and that he stuck them or whatever it was it's convincing if you're the kind of you know a regular voter hear that to be reminded that actually you know the republicans really do hate you like more more i mean the democrats have nothing but for you but the republicans you know, come on. Now, these guys, look at Bush trying to take the Social Security Trust Fund and put it in the stock market bubble. You know, for, you know, particularly chosen uh, Republican-favored corporations. I mean, this is just, yeah. These people really, really are your enemy, and you know that. And Bill Clinton's the kind of guy who can, he, if they had used him in 2000, Al Gore would have won. And if Hillary had used him in 2016, Hillary would have won the election. And and the fact that they couldn't understand that to me is what's amazing. You know, there are a few different reports about the Hillary campaign too, where, you know, they were even saying, we don't need white people at all. Screw them. We're just going to have a coalition of everybody. But guess what? The 65 percent supermajority population of the country. <laughs> yeah. And Bill Clinton was like, you guys are crazy. Please let me go and give speeches to factory workers. And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shut up, Bill. <laughs> Which is, I mean, it just adds to the comedy for me. I'm not the man. I hate the guy. I hate, I hate everything. I'm just saying. I, I, I enjoy his frustration, I guess, is really the point. That here it was. He knew what to do, and they wouldn't listen to him. Here was a guy who got elected governor twice and president twice. And they're like, shut up, old man. What do you know? Now, and the interesting part is you see now here, everyone is chatting how bad Trump is, and Trump is a Russia agent, and we should get rid of Trump. And I was just looking at them, I don't know, but I don't think that the KGB enjoys the idea of uh, se selling arms to Ukraine. I don't think that this someone, is just someone who is on the KGB right. payroll. Yeah, well, now you're getting way too or far the, into details for American media discussion. Yeah. I mean, he's or, been... Or, or the KGB. Yeah. yeah, he's been very hawkish on Russia, on expanding NATO, putting more troops in Poland and the Baltics, inviting Montenegro and um, or, you know, completing the ascension of Montenegro and Macedonia to NATO. Um, you know, he's gone at least and, and sending weapons, as you said, weapons to the government of Ukraine, which Obama never would do, even though he supported the coup there in 2014. He still wouldn't send weapons to make the war in the east worse. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, if anyone on TV ever wanted to make the case for Donald Trump is the worst enemy Russia's had since the end of the Cold War, they could make a pretty strong one. But, you know, that's not the way they look at it. But that's the difference between you, me, and I think 99% of the people in the world. We think about things. Yeah, well, I mean, it depends on which questions you know to ask. So, I mean, for me, I'm not... I'm not um, my only advantage in all of this is that I've been paying attention for a long time in a row, so I notice all the contradictions. Um, you know, where other people maybe tune in and tune out. Sometimes I got too many other obligations and can't stay uh, attuned to it all consistently enough. Um, so, you know, as time goes by, I end up learning which are the right questions to ask about the different situations. You know, like I was saying, I'll always beat that dead horse about. The Sunni Shia sectarian war and how, um, you know, America's been on both sides of it and that kind of thing. Um, 
I think a lot of people understand a lot of the bits and pieces of that, but they don't ever usually get to hear that narrative, that that Bush Jr., the dumbass, this fits, it makes sense, right? He accidentally, on purpose, but accidentally ended up empowering Iran, which was not the goal. And so they've been trying to make up for that fact ever since, and that even has them backing al-Qaeda terrorists against Iran's ally um, uh, allies in order to, uh, to spite them. Um, and I think – you know, when I kind of tell that chronology, I think people pick up on a lot of that because they they just haven't had that through line explained, you know, about the cause and effect and the and the, the motivation there about trying to make up the massive mistake of Iraq War II in that sense. So um, and, and most people, you know, it's I, I've been at this for 15 years in a row. Most people, they just can't keep up and keep the 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 different teams straight in their head long enough in a row. It's all very far away and. Foreign names and places and a TV that will never cooperate, a TV that will never explain. You have to read, you know, and, and constantly to know this stuff. Yeah, well, and that's what you and I are doing, at least. I'm a news junk and on average I do 10 hours of podcasts a day, including yours. Cool. That's good to hear. Yeah, it's cool. Great show. It's just a pity. When are you returning on daily on your weekday radio show? Oh, uh, to do a live show? Uh, you know what? I really want to, but okay. now I just started a now I just started a book again, so um, that's going to take oh me a goodness. few months to finish. And then uh, I I actually I may just go ahead and try to get back on live radio because you know for years I and mean, that was what I always did from uh, two thousand or nineteen ninety eight through um, you know two thousand sixteen. Really, the very beginning of two thousand sixteen is when I started writing the book. And um, and so, yeah, that's my thing. And now I'm just doing the interview podcast and the the Los Angeles show. But I would like to get back to doing live radio, besides just the interviews, so I can have my own say, that kind of thing. Um, but I don't know. And and I'm not really sure which opportunities I might even have to exploit there. But uh, I'll look into that. Hey, did you want to? I don't know how much time you have, but um, did you want to? I think you mentioned at the beginning you wanted to talk about Israel Palestine. Uh, no. European Union imposed completely global covering privacy laws, so it's the highest time for you to be transparent, unless you want to pay a 20 million euro fine. And yes, the European Commission is on a witch hunt, so get ready. So, check out GDRP compliance course on hofprofit.com slash GDRP. That's hofprofit.com slash GDRP. It's the beginning of time. Gold has become real money. It is the money being used by the Aztecs, the Egypt, the Roman Empire. And central banks around the world still love gold. So why are you not ready for making from gold profits? Golden profits are there just because of the current trade wars, financial instability and geopolitical tensions. Gold is likely to go up and up and up. So check it out, hofprofit.com slash gold2018. That's hofprofit.com slash gold2018. WordPress offers you many great opportunities to build a great website, webshop and spread your message. If it's your blog or your desire to become financially independent, WordPress is there for you to help you. WordPress has many hidden, hidden features no one knows. So visit hofprofit.com slash WordPress for the WordPress training menu. Well, 
know what a jet and that's not all everything um, tomorrow you get the last remaining part that's about the Israel-Palestinian conflict and he has some interesting insights about it we're gonna chat about that one and as you know I got skin in the game with two citizenships um, and on that I'm gonna salute you I will talk to you tomorrow then again Scott but then on Israel-Palestine I will talk to you then and I will say cheers and make it a profitable day hey it's Lodewijk I'm really happy that you took the time to listen this moment to my podcast I'm honored I'm pleased with it and I respect your choice for your life because you made a choice. You made a choice for success. But please keep a few moments for yourself. First of all, this is a disclaimer, so it's all the legal stuff. But for any penny you invest, please take the time. Take as much time that you make that you need to make the money to invest before you invest. And literally go sit go from your desk by where, wherever you're gonna make the investments. Wherever you're gonna do it. You're gonna stand up and stand up and look at that, that empty chair and just ask yourself five, five questions. Five terrible questions about the investments decisions you're gonna make. It's your money, so be wise with it. The information in this podcast is not intended to be true, it's not, to be, it's not an advice, we don't sell or recommend anything, we just talk, it's general information and please, and from the deepest of my heart, I mean, it means a lot to me that you are listening to this show, but please, just treat your money smartly. You're here because you want to get ahead of life, not you because you want to lose. So. Take your time. You're no profit makers are decision makers, but decision makers and especially profitable and decision makers are informed decision makers. So let's go and let's move a step ahead. One tiny baby step at a time. We are profitable decision makers.